So you're watching a waveform and we're watching you watching the waveform. Cool. <laughs> it's kind of like reality TV, but tech version and really boring. <laughs> Story of my life. Welcome to another episode of the Waffling Tailors Podcast. Hey, that's it. We do have another special guest with us today, but we'll get we'll get to our special guest in a moment. Please just just keep keep calm, and we'll get there. We'll get there. Hold on to seats. Hold on to seats. That's it. Sit on the end of your seat, um, and, and then fall off that. it. That's it. But don't fall. Or is off it just it. me? I don't want anyone to hurt themselves. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, I get to say this every time. Hello, Squidgy. Hello, Squidgy. Hello, Squidgy. Hello, Squidgy. How are you, Squidgy? I'm not too bad. Yeah, excellent. We're back for another recording. Mm. It's going to be a good one because with us, we have Evan. How are you, Evan? I'm doing very well. How are you guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. It's it's Friday evening. Mm. I've got a beer. Um, I, You know, life could not really be that much better. No packs, <laughs> no rules. Let's do this. I, I am wearing shorts, so maybe that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, um, so Evan has joined us because, um, he's one of the folks behind, uh, the, the outbreak series of third person slash first person slash fixed camera angles, zombie shooter survival horror roguelike games. Um, and there's a, the new one out now, which is, uh, outbreak endless nightmares. But I thought we could have a chat about Evan, find out a little bit more about you if that's all right. Um, and then we'll talk about the game. How's that? Sounds great to me. Awesome, awesome. So, would you mind? Uh, I mean, my introduction there was a bit terrible, but yeah. uh, would you mind giving us a, an introduction so that folks know who you are, what you do, that kind of thing? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Evan Wolbach. Uh, I'm a professional software engineer. Uh, I've been in the field for uh, over 12 years now. Um, and in addition to you know working as a professional software engineer, uh, I created the Outbreak series, which was a which is a uh, series of classic survival horror games that are uh, available on virtually every platform. They're on Steam, but also uh, the PlayStation, Xbox, and, and Nintendo set of consoles as well. Um, and they're designed to be kind of a loving homage to classic Resident Evil, Silent Hill, Alone in the Dark, um, all that fun stuff from the 90s and early 2000s. And each game tries to pay homage to a different um, type of gameplay that was you know, used back, back when. Everything from like co-op fixed camera survival horror to third person over the shoulder action horror. Um, and in the latest title now, there's, there's a first person shooter uh, component to it as well. Um, so it, it just tries to pay, pay, pay its respects to each, each era more or less. Mm. That's great. I mean, I, I I am a huge fan of the. Uh, I mean, I'm a fan of most of the Resident Evil games, but I think the first four or five that were canonically released, uh, mm-hmm. chronologically released, they they are my favorites. One, two, three, uh, Code Veronica, and I guess four. <laughs> you know, everything started. I think I've said it in the past um, that I feel like the series jumped off the deep end when when they started <laughs> making five. You know. I wasn't sure what was going on with that one, but there you go. It's less, yeah. it's less survival horror and more Boulder Assault. I think. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's it. That's it. <laughs> oh my goodness. So the, the, there's a whole bunch of inspirations there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, is it, is it because you're a huge fan of the survival horrors and you're like, oh, I'm a developer because I'm a developer too, right? We all sit here <laughs> and go, look at the game must be easy. I know how to program. I've got all the tools. <laughs> I mean, that's just, it's, it's easy, right? I mean, it can't be that difficult. Otherwise other people wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, you know, I, I certainly, I certainly would understand where folks are coming from with that view. I think, you know, you and I are probably in a unique position where, you know, after years of writing software, you you kind of get the idea that making something as complex as a video game really isn't straightforward or or super easy because software in general is not really a straightforward or super easy process uh, to create if you're aiming for quality um, or or cross platform or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it originally, uh, my original goals came out of this because, you know, I did enjoy those, those nineties survival horror experiences. And when I started developing the series, which was now uh, during the, the, the initial development started around 2015, um, you know, there, there simply was not, there was nobody Capcom, nobody really was making those kind of classic experiences anymore. And I thought, you know, I, I feel like there's got to be an audience out there uh, looking for some, some type of gameplay like that. Um, and fortunately, I was corrected. There was actually a rather large audience uh, looking for those kind of experiences. And, you know, the series started off very simple because it was, I was making really one of my first large-scale video games as a, as a 2D overhead uh, survival horror title. And then I just kind of kept picking up steam from there. Um, and we, you know, went to 3D, went to fixed camera, went to over the shoulder, first person. And now I find myself here in uh, 2021, uh, where this is now my full-time job. And uh, it's, I'm very happy and appreciative to be able to, uh, to, to make games for a living and to do them on my own schedule. And it's great to see the fan base come out from this. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty awesome, yeah. Turning a passion project into your job. Must That's be. right. <laughs> yep. I'll drink a beer to that. <laughs> that that's that that is i mean i think i think that's the dream a lot of a lot of folks that i know got into software because they were like yeah i'll take a, a computer science or a software engineering <laughs> course and then i'll just go make a game and then they get out into the real world and go hmm yeah i gotta pay the bills first that's right <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of get you kind of get sidetracked a little bit and mm-hmm. then you go learn what uh, enterprise level software is and then <laughs> You get the soul sucked out of you, and then you go. But I don't want to do this. So, what was the what was the impetus? Was it just there are no survival horror games that I want to play, and it was just let's just make one of those? Well, or was it just like there definitely were? I'm, I'm sorry for cutting you off. Um, there definitely mm-hmm. were survival horror games coming out around that time period. We had like the Resident Evil Revelations series coming out. Um, I, you know, around that time, I think they started re-releasing like the, the classic remastered Resident Evil and Resident Evil Zero. Um, so there, there definitely was still titles coming out, but what I did not find was like multiplayer survival horror, something similar mm-hmm. to Resident Evil Outbreak, uh, for example, where it was where it was that retro gameplay, but you could get with a couple of friends and and blast away zombies and solve puzzles, and that was really what I tried to latch onto with my titles. The uh, the 2D one in many ways was kind of the prototype uh, for the series that became kind of its own full game. And then once I saw the success from that title, I realized, well, there's there's no reason not to take this a step forward into 3D and get proper fixed camera angles going and try to get the production values higher and higher. Um, so really, it's just like, I guess, the lack of multiplayer 
uh, classic survival horror was the start of this. And over the years, I've just been visiting different eras and and um, seeing, you know, are there people who want like, you know, the, the classic Resident Evil one where it was room based with storage boxes and crushing difficulty and zombies and resource mm -hmm. management. And then moving up to things like what we saw with the Resident Evil 2 and well, the two remake, what's three is it? The three remake is a whole different beast, but, um, <laughs> um, but where was that, that? It was still over the shoulder action, but it was more focused on resource management and, um, and timing your runs and stuff. And that's where titles like outbreak lost hope came out of because they play very similar to that, um, where it is, you're just kind of alone on a giant map and you're trying to explore and find your way around and find resources. And you really can't kill every enemy. So you gotta, you know, get clever and run away or, or hide. And it's just, it's just been a fun journey in that as I get to visit all those eras. So it, it started off very simple and it's just kept growing in scope and, and different games. Awesome. I like it. I, I love to see, um, uh, any kind of software, uh, of any kind evolve like mm -hmm. that and go, Hey, let's try something new. Let's do this. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, cause like, um, uh, to, to, to pick on a, a, a series, let's say, you know, Madden NFL or, uh, FIFA, right? Mm -hmm. It is, it is largely the same game. Yeah, they'll make some changes. And yes, all right. Yeah, you are paying mostly for the, uh, the licensing costs and the roster updates. Mm -hmm. But there's only so many times you can innovate on NFL until they actually change the rules, mm -hmm. right? Whereas with something like a survival horror, you can quite literally, like you're saying, right, we'll start in 2D, see if there's anything there. Uh, oh, cool. There is something there. Let's move to a different, maybe into 3D and try this feature. Okay. That went well. Okay. Next one. Okay. We'll try this feature, which I guess is kind of the history of video gaming anyway. Mm -hmm. Cause like, if you look back at the history, you've got, you start with something like Pong and it's like, we've got, you know, two, uh, paddles and a blob. And can we make it so that it's more interactive? Okay, so we ditch the second player, we make it asteroids. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Now can we make it even more uh, intense by having, we, we gave the player full movement, now let's take that away from them and just <laughs> give them movement on the x-axis and give them a centipede or millipede or whatever. And then space invaders, you know what I mean? It's, it's mm -hmm. this constant iterative process. And for folks who don't really realize that, a lot of video gaming is... Look at what everyone else has done. Pick the best bits, and then um, innovate on that. Uh, and that's not—that's not to say that um, any one title isn't innovative of itself. Mm -hmm. It's very much a case of let's see what works and see how we can build on top of it. Because you only have so much time, budget to spend on actually making something, right? Absolutely. And I mean, time, excellent. Yeah, I mean, time and budget are kind of the key—the uh, key figures in in well, making software, but making games in general too. Is in with this series at the beginning, it was a very, you know, unproven formula from an indie game perspective. And when it started, I went into it with no budget and I went into it with very little time. And, you know, it's, it's something where after the concept proved itself out, that's when it made more sense to invest more time and more budget. And, you know, today it's a, you know, it's a 40 hour a week job. Whereas at the beginning it was just, you know, a couple nights here, a couple weekends, stuff like that. Mm. 
Mm. Absolutely. Of course, sort of evolution in video games, it it can go a little bit sideways. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll give you a prime example. Uh, Assassin's Creed, right? When that came out, it was very... The the developers, who I'm not going to name, they were all about historical accuracy. You know, they didn't want to crossbow in the first game because it wasn't the right timing. Fast forward into having chocobos in the game, and then the latest ones, it's not about assassinations, despite the title. (laughs) I think that's because they've jumped the shark, right? They've gone, yeah, pretty we much. need to create a new one every two or three years. Mm-hmm. We're plumb out of ideas. Yeah. Right? That's- but it's it, it's just really weird to go back to say, oh, we're, we're all about historical accuracy and that wasn't the right time period. Mm-hmm. And then some DLC, you get a chocobo from Final Fantasy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Running through the desert. I mean. <laughs> Why not, right? Why not? <laughs> but hey, right? Let's let's talk let's talk a little bit about what we've been playing, right? Because we'll come, we'll definitely come back to talking about Outbreak Endless Nightmare, which is the uh, the, the the latest mm-hmm. of the series. We'll come back to that in a moment, but I am interested to find out cuz I I you see I don't get to play very many video games these days. So I ask Squidge and all of our guests, what have you been playing? And would you recommend it? Because, you know, I don't get that much time these days. I'd like to um, cut through the chaff by mm-hmm. talking to people that I respect and having them tell me what to play. So, mm. come on, fellas. What have you both been playing? Guess first. Always guess first. Oh, to guess first. Um, well, and unfortunately, I, I have to um, side with our host on this one. And I really don't have a lot of time these days to play video games, um, you know, as a full-time developer. And, uh, you know, I've got quite a few kids. Um I don't really ever sit down too much to to sit down and like play through like a, an, an Assassin's Creed game since we were talking about those earlier or uh, something like that. I, I tend to get, you know, an hour here, an hour there to just kind of see what's going on with modern gaming. Um, so what I have put a couple hours into, which should come as no surprise to anybody, is Resident Evil 8 um, and the, uh, the Final Fantasy VII uh, remake on PS5. Um, you know, Resident Evil 8, just because, you know, I'm obviously very interested in the series and it's cool to see how they're also innovating survival horror. And um, from what I've seen of that game, it, it seems like a very, uh, uh, very interesting entry, kind of a, a departure from, I think, where they were going with Resident Evil 7 with, you know, more of an action focus, uh, more heavier focus on kind of inventory and, and money management in that game, which is always kind of neat to see in a Resident Evil game. Um, and obviously the, the production values are just tremendous. Uh, the game's beautiful. Mm. And um, Final Fantasy VII interested me just because I'm a long-term fan of the series, but th- that was more from a technical perspective because that, that game looks absolutely phenomenal. And it's very exciting to see a title of that scope and that complexity you know, running at 60 frames per second um, with all the bells and whistles enabled. And um, you know, it's just... You spend an hour or two with a title like that, and you it's one of those where you sit down and you try to think, how did they actually make this? How did they get all this choreography into the game? How did you get all the gameplay systems in? And how did you build this, you know, in a reasonable amount of time for what one can only imagine was, you know, in budget? Um, because it wasn't in development really that long. It was announced, I think, in 2015 or 2016, and we were it came out last, the original release came out last year. So... I look at titles like that as just a triumph of engineering development and art development. And it's really just, it's cool to see how far the mediums come. Mm. Oh, totally. Um, uh, I mean, I feel like we're going to be uh, talking about similar things here for a lot of this evening, mm-hmm. uh, Evan, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, as, as a dev myself, 
And like you said there, you know, it's, it's just staggering just to think of how many uh, engineering hours have gone into the average AAA title just to, just to, just for people to go, oh, well, you know, it uh, doesn't have ray tracing, literally unplayable. <laughs> uh, I, have, I have a rant specifically about that. Uh, it's a few episodes back where I essentially said, go ahead then, tell me what ray tracing is. Oh, you can't, can you? Okay, so here's what ray tracing is. And it's just... <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, I, I read a an interview with one of the producers of Resident Evil 8 shortly before it came out. And they were like, so we, we collected a bunch of feedback from players from Resident Evil 7. And they said it was too scary. So why don't we make this one a little bit more action-based and make the next one super scary? And you know what? I'm totally fine with that. Mm. I, absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. But I have to say, I haven't, I haven't played eight yet. And I know Squidge hasn't, and he's a huge fan of Resident Evil. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a shame, really. But we're, we're going to get, we're going to get around to it when we get the chance. Mm. It's all these podcasts, you see, and the full time job, it just gets in the way. <laughs> <laughs> it does, it does. So, um, so would you recommend them, uh, Evan? I mean, I mean, you, you're talking to a Resident Evil fan and a Final Fantasy fan. So I feel like you're going to say yes. I, I think it's a pretty safe recommendation. I, I, I can't imagine someone's going to have too too much trouble with those games from a gameplay or from an artistic or a, an engineering perspective. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, if you ask me to to say what is kind of the most impressive games I've I've really seen recently, those those would be at the top of my list. Uh, uh, and Resident Evil 8 does have ray tracing in it, so it ticks the one box you were talking about earlier for those folks too. Absolutely. They can they can say Absolutely. they can say they've got the ray tracing and they'll love it. Mm. That's it. That's the most important thing to them, so they get it. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I've been I've been pondering on something for ages, and and as a fellow engineer, right? How beautiful slash scary would a Dino Crisis remake in the RE engine <laughs> look, right? <laughs> uh, and my answer to that is, you need to look no further than something like Resident Evil 3's remake, where. You know, maybe gameplay-wise, that wasn't quite what folks were expecting from that. But um, from a graphics standpoint and from a uh, choreography standpoint, I, I think it's mm. not too much of a leap there to use your imagination and think, well, how, how would dinosaurs look rendered in that engine? How would kind of a realistic industrial setting look, which was, you know, a big part of Dino Crisis originally? Um, and there's even, of course, a la- you know, the uh, the white grayish walls of Dino Crisis's main complex area you you do see them both in resident evil 2 and 3 remake to a degree mm-hmm. in a similar style and i and i think the honest answer there is it would look absolutely incredible and i think capcom would be surprised at how well that title does given that that series has kind of been in slumber uh, for a little while i think it's uh i think it's ready for its breakout moment and i i hope they do spend some time there in the coming years and if not, I mean, you just played Resident Evil 3 on PC with a mod and stick some raptors in. There, there you go. That might, yeah. that, that might cover you, you for a bit. Absolutely. <laughs> I think um, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it, I, I feel like it would be time for a for a remake of um, 
of Dino Crisis, and I think it would work as well. I don't think it would require the so like Dino Crisis, the the original, the you know the PlayStation game came out at a time when Jurassic Park was st- it was st- it was kind of on the heels of the Jurassic Park trilogy, right? And and dinosaurs were cool, right? And and that was the big thing in popular culture, so they sort of glommed onto that. And I think that's one of the reasons why it worked. But I think there's enough people that played it. And it would look fearsome. Um, it, uh, cause like, just, just imagine, yeah, you're sitting there in front of your TV and some great big T-Rex comes in. It doesn't look like the blocky monstrosity that the PlayStation game looks like now. Mm-hmm. I mean, back then it was, you know, it looked realistic, but now it looks like a blocky monstrosity. Mm-hmm. And that's not to, that's not to detract away from the, the 3D artists or the developers who created that engine, but compare that to what they would be able to do. And it's 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 a no brainer. Yeah, you know, I, I think it would it would sell like hotcakes. I mean, who who doesn't want to control a sarcastic sociopath who just when seen a, a, a scene of a couple of people torn apart and you don't know it's dinosaurs yet? The first thing she said is, "That's disgusting." <laughs> she wasn't wrong. <laughs> she Absolutely. wasn't wrong, mm-hmm. but you know, and I mean, Bring I'm expecting a bit more than that, you know. <laughs> you know, and I think it's also. Um, if you want to look at let's let's keep pitching this to Capcom, but if you want to uh, uh, look at wh- how you can bring a, a remake of Dino Crisis in, well, it's important to remember that the original Dino Crisis had quite a significant graphics and you know gameplay improvement compared to the uh, Resident Evil titles that were releasing around it. Um, it moved away from pre-rendered backgrounds. There were fully 3D modeled backgrounds where the camera had better had the ability to move around the scene. Uh, I, th- I believe it was one of the first times we saw the panning. The panning camera as you kind of go along the chain link fence and other areas like that. Um, the, the character models were very detailed um, compared to some of the prior entries in the Resident Evil series at that point too. And you know, if, if Capcom were to go down that route, it would be interesting to see them take it as kind of a graphical challenge there to see how can you push the RE engine forward. What what is the equivalent of a free moving camera and panning to something like the RE engine? What is your what is your next step there graphically or gameplay wise? And that's kind of where I would hope that they would kind of approach part of the project and see what, what is what are those standout moments. Because Final Crisis was a an incredible game for those reasons. Also, the inclusion of being able to aim and walk at the same time. Yep. Mm-hmm. That would have been so useful in the Resident Evil titles, I'll be honest. <laughs> so, so useful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So... With that being said, uh, Squidge, what, have you been playing anything? I mean, so for for the listeners, we recorded an episode like three days ago. So unless he's managed to get his Nintendo Switch out or something, he may not have played anything. It's it's a mixture of uh, I got my Switch out and I played a bit of I've been going back on Streets of Rage 4. Um, I like a good button bash. Um, big, massive Streets of Rage fan. Um, when I sort of get a bit tired of that, I am playing through various mods to make it workable on Windows 10 and to accept I've got a, an Elite controller, an Xbox Elite controller. Um, I've been playing the original Resident Evil on PC, mm-hmm. uh, running through, panicking like hell, trying to shoot stuff, you know, item management, not being able to see how battered I am, quick menu, you know, all the usual stuff. I'm trying to do that. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've done Jill completely. I've I've unlocked the Uzi, which I didn't even know was PC version. Um, I've got the rocket launcher now, and I'm starting on Chris, and it's a completely different ball game. It's um, it's it's a complete opposite spectrum of the nightmare. It's no longer speed. It's 
um, tanking as many hits as possible and trying to manage the six spaces in your inventory. That's it, you know. So I've been essentially raging out on that. Plenty of save states. Well, not save states, but plenty of reloads from saves because I do some idiotic and die. So uh, that's all I've been doing, beating people up and raging out on zombies. I mean, that sounds like a good idea. If you can get a hold of a copy of Resident Evil for the PC, Resident Evil 2 for the PC, or even Dino Crisis, um, go ahead and get the classic Rebirth mods. They're completely free. If you just Google classic Rebirth Resident Evil, it comes up. So uh, I would I would recommend giving those a try. So that's the, the games we've all been playing recently. Mm. But uh, what about... See, this is a fun one. Uh, hopefully you're up for a, for a fun one here. Absolutely. Um, so what we're going to do is, uh, you're a Final Fantasy fan, we're going to take you to the Thunder Plains from Final Fantasy X. Mm-hmm. We're going to open the, the the portal to the Thunder Plains and very politely kick you through it. <laughs> <laughs> but what we're also going to do at the same time is, before we kick you through it, we're going to say, we're going to send you through there. You have to stay there for an amount of time it could be a couple hours could be a couple of days you'll get all the supplies that you need to stay alive you've got shelter you've got food you've got water um or whatever kind of fluids you want to drink that's not a problem Uh, but you're also going to get up to three video games to take with you and you can just sit and chill and play whatever you want whenever you want for an unknown amount of time it could be a day could be a couple of days could be a week it might end up being a nice little vacation for you (laughs) But my my question to you, right, with those things, you get full access to the internet if you need it to play the games. But the rule is you can't ask for help because help is on the way. We're going to let you back out. You get the consoles and all of the equipment you need to play them. But what are you taking with you? Sure. And I, I think, um, you know, I think the title that came to my mind when I, when I originally uh, heard we were going to be discussing this was Resident Evil 3. Uh, the original 1999 version of that, um, just because that's a title to me that's infinitely replayable, and uh, you know you can you could easily kill a week just trying to do speed runs on that title, just exploring all the different permutations of cutscenes and item layouts, and really there's just there's so much to do in that game, and then you've got um, the mercenaries mode when you're finished with the main game as well. Um, so I, I think, honestly, if the time span was a week, that's probably all I would really need. I think I'd have a pretty enjoyable week. Sounds like a really good week to me, I've got to say. <laughs> it sounds like you're a glutton for punishment as well. I know how random that game is. That too. This is coming from a guy who, when he bought it on the uh, PlayStation Network on his PS3, he played the entire game on easy mode, hard mode, and mercenaries using an arcade stick. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was not easy, but I challenged myself to do it, and it took me about three weeks wow. <laughs> to do all of them. There you go. It was not something I'm going to repeat. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Hey, look, just achievement unlocked, right? <laughs> Suppose. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Take it off the bucket list. Done. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so so we, tell us a little bit more about... about um, Outbreak Endless Nightmare. Then, so I keep saying Outlook. Let me try that again. I keep saying Outbreak Endless Nightmare, but I think it's Outbreak Endless Nightmares, isn't it? That's like it's plural, right? Yep. Okay, so I do apologize for getting that wrong. That's that's (laughs) it. it. 
That's so yeah. So I apologize for getting that wrong. But okay, so it, it's it's the latest in the series. We, mm-hmm. We've mentioned that earlier on. Um, so I know from watching Squidge play it, there's a third person mode. Mm-hmm. There's fixed camera angles and there's first person. That's correct. Like, uh, over the shoulder. Oh, over the shoulder. Okay, yeah. So so uh, how like firstly, how do you go about designing a game? To try and make it sort of fun and exciting and uh, and and survival horror y if the player can continually change the camera, <laughs> like how does that work? <laughs> well, uh, originally when the when it's when I was designing the title and I knew I wanted to target those three different view modes uh, as well as include a photo mode, which is also in there too, which is pretty neat and it's a new feature for the series. Um, you know, I purposely designed a lot of the environments to kind of be a little um, claustrophobic uh, when you're walking around, you know, kind of an old hospital or you're walking around a deserted, uh, nice looking house or the basement of, of that house. You know, it's, it's designed that you're always kind of feeling the walls coming in at you. You never really have that, that fresh view of sunlight. You never really have that fresh view that you can see too far ahead of yourself or around the corner. And through that claustrophobic, you know, intention there, each of the views kind of came to be. I mean, fixed camera is pretty easy because you can position the cameras and you can make it feel claustrophobic while still trying to give folks a a decent view range. Um, For this title, I wanted to make sure the camera angles did not pan uh, during the single player mode. um, So that that kind of helps fill, helps kind of add in that claustrophobic factor because you really can't pan around and look. When you get to the uh, over the shoulder or the first person view, you know, your field of view is not massive in those views. You get and over the shoulder, you get a good view of your character and a little bit of your surrounding. And then in first person mode, it's kind of right in your face. So they they also played very well with the idea of closed in environments, too. And I, and I felt like they just naturally kind of all flowed together from the gameplay perspective. Um, originally, when the title first was released, it it only played like a classic survival horror game. You know, you could you had tank controls. They were either modern or, or kind of classic Resident Evil style. And you can aim forward, you can aim up, or you can aim down and turn your character. Um, and a lot of the feedback I got since launch was that people really enjoyed the more modern shooting in one of my prior titles, uh, Outbreak Epidemic, where it was a third-person game, but you could freely aim your gun in every direction. You could target headshots, things like that. And a lot of the work that's been going into the game since it launched about a month ago has been getting those those modern view views into it, where you can have that freedom of, of looking around, that freedom of movement while you're aiming while still keeping the classic survival horror vibe and you can't really move while you're aiming or, or attacking, you know, you still have that claustrophobic view, but now it feels something closer to like Resident Evil 5 or even Resident Evil 6 as you're playing it. And the, um, the reception has been very positive uh, to those optional changes to the game. Um, so, you know, I, I think just early on, it, the idea was help kind of keep people feeling uneasy by feeling like the walls are closing in on them and from there, I just found ways to tweak each of the cameras for each of the views, and, and, it, and it kind of flows well. And the version that's available now on Steam and PlayStation and Xbox has all those great updates in them, and I, I think it really plays better than ever before. Um, and you can, you can go retro or you can go modern, and it's kind of up to the player now. Well, I, I can say from personal experience, because I've been on and off all week playing it um, when I've had a chance, because it's got that great pick-up-and-put-down 
roguelike, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't play roguelikes. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of roguelikes, but mixing it with survival horror just works. Don't know how, some sort of witchcraft magic. Um, I can say with the three camera angles, um, I can't hit the bullet with the side of a barn on all three. <laughs> so um, it doesn't matter about the claustrophobia and the, the, the traps that I put in there, the little puzzles and the zombies just coming from every orifice i can't hit anything at all so if i hit anything i call that a win nice. it's, a good, it's a good thing that it keeps repeating and you can level up because if i, if I didn't i'd be screwed <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know what it is i just first person i i don't end up shooting properly over the shoulder i aim too far down and classic controls i don't even see him coming so it's 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 very panicky for me yeah you know? <laughs> And that's, that's kind of part of the fun is that you're supposed to feel that uneasiness. And when you look at, uh, you know, why was why was a classic game like Resident Evil or Silent Hill scary and and challenging? It was that that limited field of view for you where you don't have complete control over seeing every aspect of the room, that it's always perfectly well lit, that it's, you know, that, that you that you those games are scary because the player agency is taken away. And, you know, I've seen from folks who maybe were not around when those titles were big or maybe didn't play them back then, and they're maybe more used to something like a Call of Duty or something like that today. They're, they're very confused when they pick up a title, like something that I create, and they go, well, well, why wouldn't you be able to look around? Why wouldn't you be able to do these things? Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I spend a lot of my time talking to folks about that and kind of explaining to them the, the game design behind it. And, and it's like, well, there's, there's a million things that play like Call of Duty on the market right now. But there are some folks who just want that that uneasiness, that frustration. That the controls are almost supposed to uh, fight you a little bit, and that's that's really where the fun was. Because if it's trivial to just pull out your gun and you know shoot the zombie in the head and kill it in one shot, that's really not that scary. But it's when you're fumbling with your inventory, or you're, you're managing your inventory, you're keeping track of your enemies, you're trying to move around at the same time. That's kind of where that you, you begin to freak out a little bit, and that's where a lot of fun comes in. And, and a lot of the challenge that I've been working with lately with the series is trying to bridge that gap, is find those those improvements like what are now out in Endless Nightmares where you do have that free aiming to a degree to help those those folks who don't really have that nostalgia, don't really have that, that field of reference to still be able to have fun and play the games and get into it. But I always want to make sure that there's options for folks like me who were playing the games you know, 20, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and that you can play with tank controls, you can play with a fixed camera view. Your aiming is a little loose, where you just kind of aim in the general direction of an enemy, and you're going to score a hit, or or wait till they get close and aim upwards with a shotgun, for example, to do massive damage. And I'm trying to cater to both audiences, and the reception has been very positive, which is which is great to see. It's from the old and, and from the new. Hmm. Well, what I will say is from from me playing it, I've. I I I spent a lot of the time exploring the Nexus because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Yep. You know, I was I was I was picking everything up and sticking it in the item box. Yep. Not realizing it wasn't going to respawn, so that was a shock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I spent a lot of my time, and I was going through it, and you're getting through the first set of stages. You got to pick up the conductor coins and stuff. I was figuring out stuff, and you know, weapons degrade. That was a shock when I had nothing left, <laughs> and. I had I had the the same thing that I that, that I had from when I first started playing it to when I was playing it earlier on, which was got munched, and the the only thought that was going through my brain was one more go, I'll get further, one just one more, mm-hmm. just one more, and I don't do that with survival horror games. I just go, that's enough, sod it, and throw the pad, but because it's got that that rogue like, and as you know, as as long as you end up saving it, and you don't just 
sod off with it and what have you. You keep going. It's got that. It's got that replay ability, and you you, you level up. You do more damage. But then, to my horror, <laughs> after I thought I'll go through and I'll just I'll get a load of items, so I'll be all right, and I'll get a load of weapons, and I've got the repair stuff. What I didn't realize was the enemies level up with you, which is not fun. <laughs> um, so maybe going through and trying you know, push through instead of just item hoard mm-hmm. might be a good idea. But then again, I never learn. So, <laughs> you know, and, I, and, I, and there's a couple of things there that, that I definitely want to bring up because you made a, you made a couple of good observations there. The, um, even just when you start up the game, um, there's nothing really to tell you what to do. And I always like that part of classic games. There's not really like a, you know, a 20 page manual in your face saying you're going to go exactly here. There's a waypoint pointing for you to go. It's, it's, you know, when we talk about the uneasiness of those earlier survival horror titles, a lot of that uneasiness in, in Silent Hill is a great example of this is somebody wasn't over your shoulder saying, hey, here's your next waypoint, you know, go here, solve the puzzle, pick up these items, move on. Um, and that's something that we really don't see very much in, in games that are released nowadays. You certainly see it in some indie games, but certainly not like major AAA affairs. And I, I think there's something to be said for for not holding the player's hand too much. Um, you know, when you when you start out in Endless Nightmares, there's there's ghouls inhabiting the environment that you're in who kind of in a demon souls fashion give you some sassy quips to uh mm. to, to give you some some general hints on, you know, here's some game mechanics, here's something for you to look into. But at the end of the day, it's up to you to explore. Like you said, you found those items, you stashed them away, which is kind of a pretty smart thing to do instead of just rushing right into the first dungeon. And, you know, I did kind of want people to have that startle where they go to the first dungeon, they maybe get like two or three rooms in their very low level, they get killed and they're back in the nexus. And now those items are not responding. You have to go back into the dungeons if you need more items. And yep. and, and in the starting area, the, the items are very plentiful. You you can just kind of run through and, and load up. But I I like that, that shock value of coming back and saying, oh wait, I can't just pick up that pistol again. I can't do this or not. Um, and the way that I balanced that out and tried to make it fair was that your progression for your characters is persistent across your entire gameplay experience. You can go and start a new game, but you'll start at your same character level for that survivor and you'll stay kind of powered up. And to your point about the enemies kind of getting a little stronger as you go further in the game, they do, but they're always at the same power more or less for the floor or the set of the dungeon that you're in. When you go into that first dungeon in the piano in the first set, you know, when you're level 15, you're going to be one-shotting those guys aiming for the head or doing headshots with the people with a handgun. Um, but if you then, you know, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but there are mechanics that allow you to start later in dungeons and, and you know, like you can start on like the fifth set instead of starting at the first set, essentially. Um, those allow you to jump right in and you can, you can fight more powerful enemies, but have access to better equipment uh, spawning around you. So you, I try to keep the, that control of the player side, but also not hold your hand too much that, you know, there's always a way out. So, the fun of a roguelike is restarting and trying again and trying again. And I wanted to force people to do that. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's always good when something like that happens. Mm-hmm. And I, there's, there's a difference between blatant handholding mm-hmm which is like waypoints and being told what to do. And then on the complete opposite spectrum is you don't have a clue. You've got no rough idea. There's nothing telling you. There's no help. You just chucked in the situation. Mm-hmm. This is in the middle, somewhere in the middle where there are there are the ghouls you can talk to. They get sassy with you. You hear a, a r- weird piano playing, which threw me. I thought, what the hell's going on? But what the game essentially does is 
There's people you can talk to. There's items around you. There's a gun. It pats you on the shoulder and it goes, follow the music. See you later. And that's it. You're on your own. Yep. Which which would be, you know, let's not dwell on it too much, but should such a thing like that happen, that's how you how a lot of people would react. It'd be like, I literally don't know what to do, mm-hmm. but I can hear that going on over there. Maybe I'll go investigate it, right? Yep. And that was that was a big part of the design decision is letting you stumble across where you should go next. And you know, there at some level there is some blatant um, guide rail guardrails uh, set up to protect you. When you first encounter the Nexus, a lot of the passageways are blocked off. And when you encounter with them, they'll say, you know, you're not quite, if you try to go to a later anomaly too early, or you try to go up to a passage that's blocked off and you examine it, it'll say like, you know, you're not ready for this quite yet. If you redeem a couple more coins, um, this might open up for you. And the and that, that, that forces the pacing on you that you can't just run in and get slaughtered in an endgame dungeon, uh, that, you, that you have that linear power powering up and building your equipment and things like that. Um, but without explicitly always telling you where to go past that, there's nobody saying, Hey, go to the piano, then go to the statue, then go to the manhole, you know, and so on and so forth on that. It's, it's up to you to figure out and for you to use your map, uh, to, to keep exploring. I tell you something, I did panic. I started redeeming, I found more coins Mm -hmm. and I redeemed them and it was opening more stuff. And I got to what I can only think it's sort of like the sciencey classroom, you know, with like, you, you can change your costume. Yes, yes. Right. I found the statue to make it the game harder, <laughs> but I didn't find the statue to make the game easier. So for a full day, I was playing the game on the equivalent of hardcore mode, getting my butt whooped the minute I got into anywhere. Yep thinking, how do I turn this down? So I, I just explored everywhere and said, and, and after the day, because I saved it, I went back in it the next day and he said, you've turned it down. Keep going, keep going. I'm on standard. Mm-hmm. Just get, get it to standard. Thank God for that. I'm not going on hardcore again. <laughs> you know, that was a stumble across it and oh crap, what have I done? <laughs> yep. And that's, and that was, you know, another key design uh, idea for this game was to move as much of your gameplay out of menus as possible. It, Earlier titles in the series, if you were to set your difficulty like in the original Outbreak or Outbreak the New Nightmare, you know, it's just it, it's a button on a UI for you to do. With this, it's instead something where you're you're interacting with the environment. There's a little bit of lore sprinkled around to explain why those statues have that kind of effect. Um, you know, and and that's one of the, when people ask me what is what is some of the major departures of this title versus prior titles. Well, outside of your inventory and outside of reading your journal, where a lot of the lore is explained you're not really interacting with a menu to solve puzzles. The puzzles are now environmental puzzles. It's pushing statues. It's avoiding traps. It's trying not to get your head cut off by a swinging blade, um, for example. Um, and that was a really important thing for me to try to do because um, one of the fun things about co-op survival horror is the environment that you're, that you're playing in, right? And the co-op mode isn't too fun if you always have to stop and go into a menu to enter a key code or something which a lot of the puzzles in my prior games were. Now, instead, you're not really going into your, you're not really going into a menu for any reason. You've got to interact with the environment. You've got to figure out how you're going to engage enemies. And the game is sitting there saying, all right, I'm going to give you a minute to figure out how to start working your way through this. And if you don't start making progress, then you'll start notice that enemies start coming at you one by one and they start grouping up. It, it gives you enough time to think, but you can't just simply camp out and think forever. And that, that I felt was kind of a fair compromise to keep the pace of the game going, 
and remove the need to always be in a menu. Um, and, I, and I think it, I, and the feedback that I've received from players has been very positive in that regard. They've, they've, I've had a lot of folks comment to me that they appreciate that change. If you were to be put in, we're talking about a fantastical environment, right? We're not talking. We're talking about creatures that don't exist. We're talking about a horrendous situation which doesn't exist. But if you were to be in that position, you would likely have sixty seconds to figure out how do I get out of this place? How do I move to the next spot? How do I figure this next thing out before actually going and doing it? Right. Uh, so it, 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 to me, that kind of feels a little realistic. And again, we're talking about a fantastical situation, <laughs> you know, a thing that hopefully would never happen, but you know, uh, and, and it, it makes it, it makes it more fresh, right? If you look at the, the more recent Resident Evil titles, Ope 2, but not including seven, a lot of them are, there are 20,000 zombies over there. You have to shoot your way through them to get to the next room. Mm-hmm. When you've gotten there, you pick up the gem. You then turn around and shoot your way through twenty thousand more zombies, put the gem in the in the whatever in the MacGuffin, and the door will open, right? And that's the extent of those puzzles. Whereas, it, and 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 that just becomes a oh, I'll just keep bashing the shoot button, and I will eventually get through. And that's I, I'm tempted to say there's little challenge there. Whereas if you're having to go, right, how do I do this? How do I get through here? How to stop and do this and do that, do the other. It actually makes it a little bit more, uh, it brings that, that survival horror back to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? Because you're actually sitting there going, right, how do I do this? Rather than just, now I'll just mow my way through, you know, hordes of the undead or whatever, uh, creepy crawlies or ghoulies or any kind of monster that's in the way. I'll just mow, I'll just mow them all down with my machine gun and just run through. Mm-hmm. And that's it, it, it's less survival horror then and more just. Well, you're talking about Call of Duty again. It's Call of Duty Resident Evil. You know what I mean? Mm. Absolutely. And I mean, th- this title being a roguelike title is not a coincidence at this part of the story because every title in the Outbreak series is it's all part of the same overall universe. There's several groups of survivors that are now active. Um, the original Outbreak has one group. Uh, New Nightmare, Nightmare Chronicles and Endless Nightmares has, a, has another group that it's kind of been following and then Lost Hope and Epidemic follow a third group. Um, but, you know, to do roguelike gameplay, it kind of, you know, it defies reality in some way. Like, I mean, we're talking about a zombie game, which already defies reality, but to, to the sense that, well, how do you create a scenario where somebody has to go into the same dungeon or, or, you know, the dungeon's semi-procedurally generated, but you, how do you create that hook to, to still have to go into the same area multiple times, but still have that kind of make sense story-wise? And I don't want to give too many spoilers to the overall story, but, you know, it, it is explained in a brief opening cutscene for folks who are new to the game and folks who had played Nightmare Chronicles, which is directly follows. There is an in-universe explanation for why you're here, why these kind of supernatural events are happening. And that was a really important thing for me with this game is to not just like throw random things like, okay, there's ghosts now. Instead, it was to give it some basis in reality to still be able to move the story forward, but to be able to do fun gameplay stuff, like actually get a proper roguelike game loop in there. And by the end of the game, have a perfectly valid explanation for why you experienced that 
leading into where we're going with the uh, the series afterwards, you know. And it, it, you know, this is the first title in the series could not have been a roguelike title. It needed to get to this point in the story to have a valid explanation for why you're encountering this. And and I'm I'm both glad the series got here, but I'm also really glad that I could give a in-universe explanation for why this is all occurring. You know. Mm. I will, I will say one thing before Jay gets to his next question. This game has rekindled my hatred for lasers. Absolutely. <laughs> it really has. I hate lasers in games now. Yep. I just, I just, More than before. That, oh, they're awful. What a, <laughs> I just want to make an observation, right? You're saying, Scridge, love this game. It's great to play. But there are parts of it that I, there are things that I absolutely hate. But it's really fun to play. And you you never hear that, Right. You never hear, oh, like, this is a challenge. This is difficult to do, but I love doing it, right? How many, how many, how many games do you hear that with? You get that with your Dark Souls and that's about it, really, right? Because all, most, most of the games will take the, like you said earlier on, Evan, they take the player by the hand and they go, okay, let's go over here and you can have a lovely cutscene because you've managed to get over there. And now you've done that bit, I'm going to take you by the hand and we're going to go over there. You can have a lovely cutscene. I mean, I'm, I'm boiling it down a lot, right. right? But, but having that challenge, I think, is, is what, what, at least for me, right? I find challenges fun. You want to put me on a game that I'm not going to win at? I'm probably going to have a whale of a time doing it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to point that observation you know, out. I'm sorry, Squidge. I hate to. And, and, and I just, <laughs> I just want to say that that's, that's not an accident. You know, a lot of the game design develop or the, the game design is intentionally uh, focused on getting the player good and mad um, because you know when you're when you're the angrier I can get the player at the game the more prone you're going to be to make mistakes it is very much a game of inventory management yeah. it is a game of, of of carefully planned movements of you know sh- strategizing with the map on how you're going to approach the next area and part of the fun of the game is that I can just get you absolutely infuriated by tr- having you trip a laser or having you trip a security camera and having the horde just kind of run towards you. Um, and, you know, it, as a game developer, it, it, well, look, as somebody running a business, it's a double-edged sword. There are people who do appreciate it, and there are people who experience it and fill my inbox with uh, uh, less than appreciative uh, feedback on that kind of gameplay decision. But but in both cases, I'm sitting here going, it worked as intended. That's That's what I wanted. I wanted you good and mad. And uh, everybody gets there sooner or later. But again, right? Just to really, just quickly interrupt you there again, Squidge. Right? Again, Evan. Right? If I'm if I'm walking around an area I don't know, I'm likely going to trip a laser anyway. Yep. Right? If I'm trying to sneak my way into a building to get some supplies, and there are lasers and cameras and stuff like that, I'm going to trip them anyway. Right? So I can't really complain. It's it's making it more realistic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for those lasers. Hey, no problem. Woo. If it makes you feel any better, <laughs> I get just as mad as everyone else playing that game. I was uh, <laughs> I was doing some play testing yesterday, and um, I was um, there was a specific area that I was specifically focusing on, and it had a lot of lasers, security cameras, and steam vents on it. And um, I was intentionally trying to get through to the end of the room, and I died right at the very, very end, right before reaching the exit point. I almost threw my controller, and I'm like. And, for, and and I realized that it was happening. I'm like, this is this is working as intended. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm good and mad. So um, you know, and that's and that's kind of how you're supposed to feel in survival horror. You're supposed to be frustrated. You're you're supposed to be depowered. You're you're really not supposed to be punching a boulder. You know. 
absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. What I'm going to do is I'm going to let you ask your question because I keep interrupting. Um, yeah, so I, I just wanted to ask what's, I can understand the appeal of it, but what's the, the deal with all the different game modes? Because mm. um, there's, there's more than a few. Yep. Um, I went for standard because I thought I'm going to get annoyed anyway, even on easy. I might as well just give it a go. I mean, randomized, one shot, Iron Man. I, I can't remember half of them to be honest, yep. but I know Sounds there's like, like there's, there's a good there's a good eight eight or nine of them, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's there's quite a few, and they they have different permutations that you can kind of put them in. And um, the the reason why there are so many is just to keep tailoring the experience to the different player. There, you know, a lot of the feedback I got in the earlier titles is that they were simply too hard. And what I tra- and this is this is going to be funny when I tell the whole story, but. One of the things I added in this game was explicitly in easy mode. There's when you start your game, there's literally a button there that says easy mode. And what happens is, is you you spawn with a Rambo-esque arsenal with everything you could possibly ask for. You have significant damage resistance, and, and it's kind of inspired by Resident Evil 3's <laughs> uh, easy mode for the original version, where you know it's like, all right, here's a Gatling gun, go nuts, you know. And and I and as I was making that, I said to myself, I'm like, well, this is just so easy. I've trivialized the entire game. The game released, and some of the first few messages I got were, "Can you please make easy mode easier?" And, and I'm sitting there like, I'm like, I don't, I don't really know how to do that. I, you know, you it takes 30 hits to get killed, and you're armed to the teeth. I don't really know what more I can do for you here. But it was it was funny that even some things I did not tailor in that mode, like weapon durability, was still a thing. And they're like. But this is still too crazy with weapon durability. So in subsequent patches, easy mode now has virtually no weapon durability loss. Like you've got to fire a gun like a thousand times for the thing to break at that point. Um, so that, that that's where that option came from. And then the other modes, things like Iron Man, things like randomizer mode, um, those were inspired by the survival horror community, seeing what mods people were making for classic Resident Evil games, seeing how people play things like uh, Diablo and, and as an example there. Pete, there are there are folks out there who just love a game where they know that if I die, it's all over and I lose my save. So I'm like, all right, you can have Iron Mode. And then Randomizer mm-hmm. Mode, some of the most popular mods that are out there and streamers that, that they play for like Resident Evil 3 and Resident Evil 2 are randomizing equipment, randomizing your inventory, things like that, just keeping it as unpredictable as possible. And I really wanted to have extra little nods to what, what folks like about those classic mods in there. Just so you can always go in and every floor in randomizer mode, you have no idea what's going to be in your inventory. You're you're always going to get a couple weapons. You might get some ammo for those weapons, and maybe you'll see a healing item. Maybe, <laughs> um, but but the the bet's kind of off. I I give you enough that if you're clever, you can pretty much get through any situation as your character levels up. But you never really have more than an extra bullet in a lot of cases to to succeed and. You know, one floor, I will give you a level, like a, a mid-level magnum that'll one-shot every enemy on the floor. And the next floor, I'll give you a knife, you know, and uh, <laughs> and, and you'll get you'll get like a red a red sprout and no accompanying green sprout to help you out with. And maybe it's there, but, you know, that's part of the fun is just, is just keep throwing you into just uh, an increasingly worse situation and just get you good and mad. Um, and, then, and then I thought, hey, what would be more fun than that? is Iron Man plus randomizer on at the same time for just the worst experience you can imagine. And that's where Lost Hope mode came from. And um, that, if, if you want to throw your controller, go play that mode. Because it's, 
(laughs) It's incredible. I I was thinking of like running a contest and saying, if somebody could like show me a game clear on lost hope, like that they put that they're a new game plus mode. I I was like, that's, that's gotta be worthy of a prize, but I still haven't said something like that, but I I really, I really want to do it just to see if anybody can actually get through it. So essentially what you're telling us is if you get annoyed with standard Iron Man, Hell Mode, whatever it is, go on easy mm-hmm. mode, put on a bandana, play some ran- Rambo music, and then just go That's nuts. right. And, and that, I'll be doing that. And, that, and that's what that. easy mode is there for. It's also a stress relief thing because, you know, you, you still get your experience points. You still can amass, you can you can have forward character momentum in easy mode. And that's, that's another reason why it is there is just, okay, I, I can't progress on standard just for whatever reason I can't get through this. All right, start a new save slot, go to easy mode, level your guy up, go in there with a grenade launcher with tons of ammo and just blow up the entire room. Get, get it out of your system and then come back. I'm trying that. I'm trying. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy with how the grenade launcher turned out in this game. I don't know if you've used it yet, but it's uh, it's it's fun. I've just about got past the first dungeon. Mm-hmm. I've got enough conductor's coins to unlock the shop on the roof nice. and unlock the second dungeon, the statue at the beginning. I, nice. That's as far as I've got, but I did the the idiotic thing of thinking, oh, I can level up. Um, it takes a long time, and the enemies somehow, just for my luck, they're either quicker or they hit harder for whatever reason, <laughs> even on the first dungeon. And again, it's probably due to the fact that I can't really shoot straight. So <laughs> I, that could be a factor, you know. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I like it. So you talked a lot about the different game modes, right? Is there a, a Evan's favorite game mode slash camera setting? Like if if you if you're gonna, uh, I I know myself that using the software that you've built, um, that you've put time into can be quite frustrating sometimes because you're like, <laughs> oh, I could have done that bit better, I could have fixed that, that could have been better, or maybe maybe I didn't need to focus on that, you know. But putting that to one side, if you're gonna sit down and you're gonna play Outbreak Endless Nightmares. What's your, and you're not playtesting, you're just like, I'm going to spend half an hour and I'm going to get angry. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 when the game first launched about a month ago, the answer would have been the fixed camera mode, um, which I, I mean, I still love the fixed camera mode. But the reason why I love that so much is I, I love fixed camera games. But also, this was the first title in the series to have mocap animations. And, you know, it, it, they really shine in that fixed camera mode. You, you see every aspect of your character as you're firing the weapons, as you're reloading and the clips falling out of the gun and, you know, your bullet casings are bouncing off the walls and, and everything like that. And, you know, I, I, that, I just, I enjoyed for the show and for the challenge on that. Um, as of the most recent patch though, and I'm very happy to be able to say this, I would say first person view is probably now my most favorite view. Because with the, the latest update, now you now you see your, your gun model in first person mode. You you see it at all times. Those those nice animations, they're now visible from the first person perspective. The gun models look great. I, I love the visual effects that I have for like muzzle flashes and the, and the casings flying out of the gun. Um, you know, and I and now with the precision aiming where you have a full uh, X and Y axis to move your your cursor and line up headshots and stuff. Um, I found myself really enjoying first person mode. And I think the, the new iteration of first person mode in the latest patch um, makes the game, makes the game a lot more reasonable in that view too, because you can, you can fully look down. When you look down in first person mode, you see your character's body. You can see how close you are standing to a laser wire, for example, or to a trap. 
and you can now very carefully move your feet um, since it's all um, it, it's got a, a root uh, a root uh, motion rig. So like as you move, your your character's body is actually determining how you're moving. So you can kind of ease yourself now through traps in first person mode. You can look down, you can look up, you can you can nail those headshots on the zombies and send them flying. Um, so I, I'd say it's probably first person mode now. That's cool. Yeah. I do like the idea of being able to look down and see the character's body. Because mm-hmm. um, for me, in a first-person shooter, if you just if you look directly down and you just see the floor and a patch of shadow, completely breaks the game for me. I don't mind whether it's a game where I'm shooting down aliens or having to take on hordes of the undead or just doing some kind of puzzly thing. Um, it, it just completely destroys the immersion for me because it's like, well, where's... Where's my body, right? If I look down now, I can see my body. If I'm in the game and I look down, where's the body? Where, where, you don't what? see your tootsies literally unplayable. That's, that's what it. you're saying. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> also, looking down to, to avoid traps, I've got to try that because yeah. I never did that. I just judged it and got it wrong all the time. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a lot harder to do in the when the game launched with how first-person mode was in the original one because you had a very limited field of view to look up and down, but it's with this latest patch. And, I, and really a lot of the work that went into the patch was getting that camera correct in first person mode to be able to look down. So like if you're holding a shotgun, you look down, you see if you're idling with the shotgun, holding it with both hands, you know, to give you that proper feel of presence there so that you feel like you're actually moving a character's body and, and all those awesome animations and stuff are, are present um, as you use that view too. So it's, I, if, you, if you haven't tried it yet, I, I definitely encourage it on the new one, and certainly with the over-the-shoulder mode as well. Now it's all those, all that, those great improvements are in that mode as well, and I think it's. Uh, I, I just think it, they, they play so much better uh, with the latest patch. So all I've got to do now is just get better at aiming, I suppose. <laughs> That's it. Just get better at playing the game. That's it. That's all you got. That's it. Step one. That's easy, get better. Right? Step two. Step three. Profit. You know, it'll <laughs> work for me. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, I, I, I say this a whole bunch on the show. I'm interested to hear of in, of the what's the, the what has been the biggest uh, challenge, considering that you're targeting all of the different. You know, I don't mean all the consoles, but you know, the majority of the of the of the big consoles and PC and Linux and Mac. Uh, there's there's, there's, like, there's no Mac. I will I will say that, but uh, okay. but Linux is okay. on there. Yep. Uh, well, I mean, that makes me happy because I'm a Linux user. But <laughs> like it, it, targeting all the operating systems, all the hardwares, all the configurations, like that's got to be di- like as as like I say, I'm I'm a dev. So when when somebody says to me, yeah, well, what I did was uh, I put the the software on a floppy disk, plugged it into a USB floppy disk drive, then plugged that into an Apple Mac, which then I firewired over to the router, which I then jerry rigged through a PlayStation onto my Xbox and the game won't work. <laughs> like you, you're, you're reaching towards that territory, Evan, just, just to let you know, you got to be careful. <laughs> you don't end up MacGyvering everything. It doesn't Absolutely. go anywhere fast. Well, you, you, unfortunately you can't MacGyver it when you're, when you're trying to operate at that level of scope. Um, and, yeah. and the short answer of how, well, two short answers for you. The short answer of, is it difficult? The answer is yes, absolutely. And the second answer is how, how did I do it is, um, about a year back, you know, I realized I was on Steam and I was on Xbox. Um, each title had very custom code for both platforms. 
to work with all the different systems and meet the requirements and things like that for that. And it was about a year back, I took a look at it and said, well, I know I want to be on PlayStation. I know I want to be on Switch. I know I want to be able to go to other platforms, but this, this simply does not scale. First of all, a lot of the games were on much older versions of Unity back then, and the code for each platform was incredibly custom just due to the nature of, I was new to Unity and I was new to cross, cross-platform development, console development in the years where I wrote that. And I took a step back and basically said, okay, well, I need to you know, create generic code to handle all the different systems that I know I'm gonna need across these platforms, input management, uh, things like handling achievements, stats, um, you know, just all, all that different stuff that, and all the requirements and stuff. And I basically sat down and just ended up writing modules um, for each platform that I wanted to support that were basically, it's, it's a little too simplistic to say that they're just drag and drop, but they are very, uh, the majority of them is simply a drag and drop across my projects. And I know when I want to take an operate game to PlayStation now, I have a file that, that I wrote that now works with all the systems and handles it. And it's separate from the, you know, the core game logic for the game. It's really just at a separate level. And I can just plot that down and I'm already 95% of the way to working on PlayStation. And then it's just configuring and, and handling some minor specifics for the title. And, you know, I started doing that originally with uh, the PlayStation platform first and then Spread, you know, rewrote everything for Game Core, rewrote everything for um, Nintendo and stuff like that. And now I'm at a point now where, you know, the, the bringing a project to these different consoles really isn't that, that scary anymore because I know I've got reusable modules that I can just, you know, drag and drop and use. Um, and now the, the biggest difficulty right now is simply just managing the amount of titles out there because every title in the series is now available on Steam, uh, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, PS4, PS5, and Nintendo Switch. And each of those, you know, those are separate executables. They need to be updated separately. And there's still a lot of uh, work that goes into that. But it's more manageable just because now I have reusable code uh, that I can just kind of keep carrying across each title instead of having like 40 or 50 plus uh, different implementations across each game, across each platform. actually glad you brought this up because part of what I what I've been thinking about lately is that there's probably other people who could benefit um, from that and part of how I'm thinking of spreading out in the future is thinking about how can I help be a digital publisher for other folks trying to take that journey and you know it's it's been a very long road for me there's a lot of building contacts learning the technical side of things um, you know learning just the whole pipeline of how do you deploy these different platforms and that's something that, you know, over the next year, I'm going to look and see, can I help others do that as well? Can I, can I find a way to help, you know, cut months or years off development pipelines for other folks and, and find a way to, you know, appropriately and securely uh, um, ease that transition for other folks who may be considering a wide platform uh, uh, publishing scheme or something like that. Um, so um, hopefully I can put all this experience to good use for others one day. That's uh, very nice to hear. Sort of like you're yep. you're preparing to give back. Yeah, yeah. you know it's yep. it's definitely really nice to hear because um, you know there's there's a lot of yeah you can search it on Google and what have you. But if you can if you could contact someone directly and say I'm thinking about doing this, but I don't quite know I'm, how I'm how I'm going to do it, how I'm going to implement it, and the person you're talking to goes yeah sure jump on a Zoom call we'll talk about it you know mm-hmm. and I'll I'll give you all the help that you might need. It's it's very nice to know that there's 
there's there's um, games companies, publishers, and other people that are willing to do that to give back because that's mm-hmm. that's just gonna enhance the circle and you're just gonna make better things. You know, it's not all about competition. If you can give back, you can you can help other people progress, and then mm-hmm. you know you've got all these different people. Uh, making these games because of the help out there, it's just going to make everything better. Absolutely, you know. And I mean, if, if anybody's listening to this and is interested in that, uh, check out deaddropstudios.com. Um, you know, and I've got a lot of, or I'm, what I'm setting up on there, and uh, there's a form to reach out. We can, you know, it's uh, unfortunately it's not as simple as just having a Zoom call. Um, but you know, we, eventually the process will hopefully get to that point. And you know, there's there's paperwork and other other <laughs> requirements involved with it, but. Um, but you know, it's 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 a service that I think is um, something that would be in demand, and you know, it's you know, uh, it just seems like a natural next step. So I'm I'm excited to branch out in that way as well. I mean, I, I simplified it a lot there, but it's it's <laughs> it's essentially what you were getting at, you know. I, I, I should, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know whether you can tell Scridge isn't a developer. I'm not. I'm an editor. <laughs> it's, 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 quite, it's quite fine. I mean, I believe me, I wish I wish it were that simple, but obviously there's contracts and everything else that's involved with it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, I think it's a service that would uh, help others. And I think, you know, as you said, game companies, other indie developers, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if there's uh, an interest out there. Because, you know, I, once you have the experience, you can just chop off months or years of work for somebody else. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, we we can totally cut this bit if you want as well. But um, I'd be interested to know. You've said Unity. Is it the C plus plus JavaScript or the C sharp side of Unity? So I I use the C sharp side of it. Hey. I've always I've always loved C sharp. I um I love I love .NET. I love um I, I've always just been a huge proponent of C sharp. So uh, back in the day, my my um, education, we'll say, in my early professional career was very much focused on C++. And I, and I, I love me some C++. I love, I love the level of control you have to just hurt yourself immensely mm-hmm. um, through making uh, mistakes and directly, you know, accessing memory and kind of messing around. But C Sharp is just magical. And if you can get over the fact that the yeah, editor's a garbage collector and yeah, some of the tighter controls are maybe taken away from you, the, um, the rate in which you can get work done in C sharp mm-hmm. and really not risk blowing your feet off too badly. Yep. <laughs> um, make it, make it a very compelling choice for me. And, and I do have folks ask me sometimes, they're like, well, what programming languages do you recommend? And you know, it's, uh, the answer is always, it depends. But if you're, if you're not doing anything too crazy, it's like, oh, C sharp is a really nice place to start, you know? Totally. Um, yeah. So one of the ways that I sort of describe the differences between C Sharp and C++ is C++ is a chainsaw and C Sharp <laughs> is a machine that you stand nine feet away from the tree and you push a button and the tree is gently let down. Whereas the <laughs> chainsaw, you could chop your arm off with it, right? Absolutely. That's, that's it, it, It's so much faster. <laughs> But it is, it is going to, you're going to get something wrong. And that's not, that's not me saying that everyone always does and always has to, but there'll be something that goes wrong and you won't spot it and it will blow up your computer or something. Yep. And I mean, I mean, that, and that sums it up perfectly at the end of the day is you, there is no detail that can be left unattended when you're doing something major in C++ because you're going to, it's what you said, you're going to chop your arm off of that thing. And the worst part is you may never even see the chainsaw coming until it's too late mm-hmm. um, through, through our, through friendly memory leaks or, or other issues like that. Um, you know, and, and C sharp, just at least in my experience, I get so much more done so much quicker in C sharp. Um, even if I do always have a stop, soft spot for C++. 
Absolutely. It's all I, about uh, rapid I, application development, RAD. Yes. I, I am in the wrong career. You guys are juggling chainsaws. <laughs> and I'm just editing audio to get clicks, ums, and airs out. You guys are juggling chainsaws and programs are coming out the end of it. I'm in the wrong career. I really am. Well, I could teach you the business if you want, Squidge. I, I, does it include juggling chainsaws? Because that's what I got from there. It can do if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, um, what I'll say, Evan, is it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, why don't we let the people know about where they can go to find out more about uh, the titles, the uh, the service that you're looking at trying to offer, all of those mm-hmm. kinds of things, where people can catch up with you, see what's going on, and obviously let everyone know, again, that the games are all available on all the things, but, mm-hmm. like, yeah, go ahead. Tell For me sure. about I mean, these titles. <laughs> and, and the, the one website that gets you to everything is uh, deaddropstudios.com. Um, that's kind of the, the hub for uh, branching off into seeing all the games. It's for professional consulting services that I offer as an engineer and for other game developers. Um, you know, and it's, it's kind of the, the business home for, for what I've built over the last couple of years. Um, and then, you know, we've also got outbreakzone.com, um, where that's focused just entirely on the games. Um, and there's a lot of great like media screenshots, all the trailers and, and fun, fun doodads and stuff are on there. And you can pretty much just put outbreak into, you know, PlayStation, Xbox, uh, switch, um, steam and you you will find uh, the catalog of games um and if you're uh, if you like classic survival horror or if you want to dip your toe into into the past a little bit and you know endless nightmares is now a very modern game and some of the views too if you enjoy modern survival horror shooters like the uh the resident evil remakes and things like that um you will likely find a lot to to love in these titles if you can get over the fact that it's one guy making them very limited budget you know it's not it's, it's, you know, it's not a triple A, uh, affair, but, um, uh, you know, if you can get past that, there's, I think a lot of fun for folks to have inside. And it's been wonderful to see the, uh, this series continue to grow and really just the, the growth accelerate year over year. It's, it always amazes me how it just keeps accelerating. Um, so, and I'm, you know, looking, looking forward to, uh, there's a lot of fun stuff happening this summer. Um, so, you know, stay tuned to my Twitter account, Dead Drop Studios uh, over the coming months, and we're going to have a lot of fun surprises and other really cool stuff that people have been asking me about for for quite some time. And that's that's as far as I'll say now. Mm. Oh, cool! What I like I, it. What, what I will say is the game's very curiously, maddeningly addictive, <laughs> and it is. Um, you get a lot of maddening replay value bang for your buck. I will say that I've 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 even. I mean, especially over the past couple of days, I've spent more time on Endless Nightmares than I have the first Resident Evil, and that's hard for someone to take my attention away from the original right. Resident Evil because I'm a nut for that. So <laughs> just just the curious, can I get by it again? I'll give it another go. You know, and three hours has gone by. So, <laughs> what, Do you mind if I ask what platform are you playing on? I'm playing it on Steam. Very um, nice, yep. Yeah, so I, I was contemplating getting it on my Switch, but then I've got an original Switch and the battery's not fantastic on it. <laughs> but my my laptop is plugged in. I don't have to worry about it. You know, I've got my pad and I can blast away. So, Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, uh, 
like I said, Evan, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, do definitely check out these games. You've got the Squidge uh, thumbs up of approval. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be installing it later today to see how my uh, Pop OS box deals with it. Um, hopefully it'll be able to run it. Uh, it's not the greatest computer in the world, but it's, it's, uh, it, it was able to play Resident Evil 3. So I'm got a feeling it should be able to play <laughs> Outbreak, right? But I mean, most of my computers held together with, uh, with, uh, duct tape and good intentions. That's it. Duct tape, yeah. good intentions and wishful thinking. That's it. <laughs> that means you're doing it right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and Absolutely. I just want to thank you guys again for, for having me on. Uh, this no is a wonderful, wonderful time speaking with both of you. It's always, it's always good to talk to a fellow developer and a fellow developer to be from the sounds of things. <laughs> as long as I can uh, juggle chainsaws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Get yourself a chainsaws. It'll be fine. Um, and I, I do appreciate the opportunity to speak about the games and, uh, just to encourage anybody listening to this, if you ever want to reach out to me on Discord or on Twitter, uh, the Discord link is on our Twitter, and it's, really it's linked to from like everywhere. But uh, feel free to stop by, say hi, and if you you know if you ever want to talk about the games, I'm around. Awesome, cool. mm. thank you ever so much, Evan. It's fantastic <laughs> having you. Thank you. We'll, we'll just say real quick, do the do the quick wrap up that we do at the end of our episodes. You've just listened to another wonderful episode of the Waffling Tailors podcast. Thank you ever so much for listening. If you want to give us a review, that would be nice. Pod Rev Day is every single week, no, every single month. So check that out. Maybe go on to some place and give us a review. I don't know. Definitely check out um, Evans Evans Games that he's got going on because uh, they they do seem like a lot of fun. I'm going to be playing it later squidge has been has been chewing my ear off all week telling me how how much he's loving outbreak endless nightmares so definitely check it out i know a few people who are very into roguelikes and they should be checking it out um if you want to learn more about us waffling tailors.rocks is the website facebook.com forward slash waffling tailors twitter.com forward slash waffling tailors twitch.tv slash waffling tailors where hopefully you can see a pattern emerging if there is a platform put waffling tailors at the end of it and we may be on there i don't know <laughs> excellent so i guess all that really remains to say is uh thank you ever so much squidgy no worries. And thank you ever so much, Evan. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Station Productions. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GH. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Dagay. See the show notes for more details. The Waffling Tailors podcast is a proud member of the J&J Media Network. To find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.